0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another beautiful fall afternoon here in Blacksburg, Virginia, home of the Fighting Hokies. Professor Boyer coming at you with another live podcast about another bizarre international series of events that I wanted to talk to you about tonight. Oh, before I go any further, uh, welcome back to any of our Twitch fans, our Twitch followers, and our Twitch subscribers. I'm learning the terminology finally Uh, and uh, as always hope all is well and if you have any questions comments concerns as we go through this little iteration of international events by all means pop it up in the chat Uh, or you can always email me before or after or during this whole podcast about future podcasting topics you'd like to see covered I'm here for you so tonight's topic Uh, Without any further ado, I'm going to attempt for the first time ever on Twitch to do this in under a half hour. I know, which means an hour, but there's no way we're going for two hours tonight. Mostly because there's probably only one or two of you in the chat room, if any at all, which is fine. Uh, We got one. I've got... Valenski is back in. Good evening, uh, Valenski, and welcome. And uh, I will try to shoot for a half hour on this... It's got to be under an hour because I'm pretty under the weather and I can't believe I've been going for two to two and a half hours on these podcasts to begin with. Although many of you seem to like the long form. So we're going to go with another one tonight. Switching topics from China, which we did for the last four nights in a row, uh, to something that's just caught my eye all weekend long and I couldn't get away from it. So I wanted to bring it back to everyone's attention and talk about a series of smackdown events that have occurred since just last Thursday or Friday that tie into a central theme about Turkey. Particularly, this leader of Turkey, the president of Turkey, uh, Recep, uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, the Turkish titan, as I like to call him and uh, one of the uh, currently most pugnacious presidents on planet Earth. And he's got a lot of competition for pugnacious president title. However, even though there's lots of outspoken Democrats, and outright dictators, and uh, pugilistic presidents and prime ministers around the world, I gotta give the top title to the Turkish titan right now, because just in the last five days, he has once again ruffled feathers around the world initiated a boycott that is taking that is going viral boycott against French goods uh, has ticked off uh, the United States uh, NATO uh, Cyprus all this just since the weekend began so even though I talked about Turkey at length uh, Week before last I believe I wanted to revisit it because it's uh, making such headway in the news and it's uh, uh, underlying and reasserting a lot of points that I was making about Turkey when I talked about it for two or three days straight uh, a week before last. So what do I mean by this uh, this Turkish Titan trash talking? Well, just uh, uh, oh, this is already messing up. Yeah. everything's clipped. Uh, just in the uh, last five days, here's a handful of headlines. That the first one is actually not gotten any press at all, and it's one of the more important ones in my view, and that is Turkey's Erdogan. Erdogan, I'm sorry. Uh, Turkey's Erdogan says it's time for a two state solution in Cyprus. Two state solution? What would that be referring to? And why am I suggesting that's kind of a big deal, and it's really ticking off some people in Cyprus? Uh, Other headlines Turkey's Erdogan dares, dares the United States to impose sanctions while continuing to insult France's President Macron. Turkish President Erdogan says French President Emmanuel Macron needs mental treatment over responses to a beheading incident. That's a real headline, by the way. Let me repeat that. This is an actual real headline. The uh, President of Turkey, Turkish President Erdogan says French President Macron needs mental treatment over a beheading. If you, this is like a Mad Libs situation, but that's a real headline, it's not made up. Uh, tensions between the entire EU and Turkey escalate over uh, uh, Erdogan's insults to French President Macron. Erdogan and new threats to Greece about things going on in the eastern Mediterranean. That's right, my friends, all that and a lot more in less than one week of a Recep uh, Tayyip Erdogan's life. The president of Turkey has been going on it. Let's start with one of the easier ones. Uh, and again, ask questions along the way, all two of you that are in here. Uh, the first Smackdown that occurred started actually last Thursday, uh, and this was uh, that Recep Tayyip Erdogan confirmed on Thursday uh, Russian's S-400 test despite US objections. The quick backstory on this, and it can be quick because there's not a whole lot of backstory, Uh, is that uh, Turkey has been, uh, a couple of times now, purchased weapons from Russia. Now, that's entirely in the Turkish prerogative to buy weapons from whoever they see fit. Except, except that when you're in this thing called NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, you're part of the team And the team was formed uh, as a counter to a Soviet Union back in the day and Russian, and perhaps Chinese, and perhaps other countries' aggressions. So Turkey's on that team, and that team has certain protocols. And the protocols are we all work together and we all share or buy our equipment from the same places. Therefore, we're all on the same page when it comes to responsive threats, be it aggressive or defensive military posturing from outsiders. So Turkey's thing that's ticking off NATO and NATO members is it's been buying weapons from outsiders. Uh, Weapons which the NATO uh, collaboration has said, hey dudes, what are you doing? You're buying weapons from the enemy that will detect our weapons, your friends. And I'm being a bit cavalier here with the words friends and enemies because it's not the Cold War anymore. Anymore, But that was the spirit of NATO and the spirit of them collaborating on their defensive posturing. So Turkey has basically said, we don't care. (laughs) We don't care. Because as soon as uh, Erdogan said, by the way, we know this is going to piss off the U.S., we've already pissed them off by buying these weapons. We know we've already pissed off NATO by buying these weapons from Russia. Russian weapons which can detect Western stuff. um, Even though we're part of the Western defense team. So... We already know it's going to piss them off. And the U.S. threatened Turkey, saying, Hey, you already bought them, but don't use them. Don't use them, or there might be some sanctions coming. And Erdogan on Thursday said, We don't care. We have a successful test of this weapon system that we bought from Russia. <laughs> and the Trump administration immediately came out and body slammed uh, Turkey for conducting this test and said, Dudes, we, we thought we asked you nicely. You know, U.S. President Trump's kind of a little busy right now uh, trying to get reelected, And the autocratic nature of U.S. President Trump, he kind of probably favors the autocratic nature of Turkish President Erdogan. So the Trump administration has uh, been loathe, quite frankly, to attack Erdogan or to get into a confrontation with Turkey. Again, because mostly because they're busy right now. But they did say, hey, we're not appreciative of you making this test right here, right? And um, uh, Turkey's uh, president said, "Uh, we have every right to test the equipment. They were tested. They're being tested. We announced uh, America's stance is absolutely not binding for us, he said. We aren't going to ask America anything. Even though Washington is a strong ally of Turkey, and again, they have this NATO collaboration, uh, the United States warned Turkey that it risked U.S. sanctions under the Countering America's Adversaries Through Sanctions Act if they activated that system. And Turkey said, meh, okay. Well, that could be considered an insult. Or if you're Turkish and a proud Turkish nationalist, you could just say, well, our country has a prerogative to do whatever we want. You are absolutely correct. But then, uh, after this test on Thursday, of course, the U.S. comes out. Uh, and and, and shows its displeasure uh, with this test. And the U.S. government then accused Turkey of compromising NATO security Friday after uh, uh, Ankara confirmed the Turkish military conducted this missile-firing exercise with an advanced air defense system. Again, it's an air defense system bought from Russia. Russia specializes in air defense systems that defend against Western weapons systems. Again, I, I, I keep re, uh, reiterating this so that you understand why NATO and, and the United States are particularly incensed by this. You bought a system that detects our systems, but you're on our team. Okay. All right. Uh, and now we might have to have some sanctions on you. And on Friday, uh, Erdogan came out and said, I don't give a crap about your sanctions either. In fact, I dare you to sanction us. Some smackdown. That's that's our first smackdown of the evening. Is I don't care. Uh, and let me see if I can find the quote here. The U.S. This is a uh, 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 Turkish President Erdogan. The U.S. does not know who they're dealing with. Impose the sanctions already, whatever they may be. <laughs> All right. That's. That's definitely one approach <laughs> to dealing with the United States. <laughs> and by the way, part of this uh, was part of this Turkish smackdown was uh, it was alluded to by Erdogan that not only was he given them a little bit of uh, a lip over the weapon system test and their proposed sanctions over the weapon system test, but the United States actually had already said, and by the way, we don't like. Uh, Turkey, we don't like that you are intervening in that Nagorno-Karabakh conflict over in Azerbaijan. And so we would prefer you didn't do that, and there might be sanctions for that too. So uh, Erdogan referenced both of those things and said, I'm going to continue to do what I want to do in Azerbaijan and support uh, Azerbaijan's mission to take back uh, Nagorno-Karabakh. And we're also going to continue to uh, operate this Russian weapon system. And if you want to give us sanctions on both those counts, Go for it, don't care. Bye bye, next picture, right? <laughs> and I got, I got, I love it. Absolutely dares Trump to impose sanctions, and don't be late. Was a follow up thing he said. Whatever your sanctions are, don't be late. That's about as bold as it gets, right in your face. We're out of here. It, it almost is unfathomable that the president would take this tack. Given that even before, um, even without considering the NATO stuff, the United States has always been a fairly loyal friend and ally to Turkey. And one could argue that the United States is one of the reasons why Turkey got into NATO. And the United States is one of the reasons why uh, that the European Union and European states have been pressured over the decades to give better respect to Turkey. So, turning its back, this very specific slapdown is important, in my mind, to understanding world events. Because this one is specifically targeted at the United States. A, a very long-time ally of the uh, Turks, at least since World War II, and actually before World War II. So, this is an interesting tack uh, from Erdogan on the smackdown straight to, the United, to, straight to Uncle Sam's chin. Okay? Uh, and, as this is occurring... Uh, I'm sorry. We already have a question. Oh, I'm sorry. There's a question here. Okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh we got a s- subscriber. Yay! And anybody that subscribes, if you, if you give me your, uh, uh, Katie, put the, my email address in the chat room. Anybody that's a subscriber, I'll mail you one of these immediately. If not two or three, if you want them, just to be on the team. Um. Yes, and I see. Uh, oh yeah, uh, Voet. Voetsek, uh, Voetsek, ask. Uh, so, are we giving up their EU hopes entirely? Uh, yes, Voetsek. I would say at this point that is done. Uh, not only is Turkey not going to get into the EU, it appears that Turkey has no interest in any longer trying to get in the EU. And hey, I've been wrong in the past, but you got to look at what's going on right now and say no. They have given up all aspirations of getting into the EU. They truly do not care. And you could step back from it all and say, well, and that's timely for them because the EU is in a bit of a trouble. Uh, the UK just Brexited. Uh, there's turmoil internally in the EU. Uh, there's a lot of turmoil I'm getting ready to talk about with France. So I think Turkish ambitions or even EU ambitions of Turkey joining the club, I think both sides are over it. It's done. I dare say there's not even any negotiations happening any further at this point. There's probably not a meeting, not even a memo. They're all done with it. They're all done with it. And as you'll see with the rest of the smackdowns I'm getting ready to talk about, it's further nails in the coffin of Turkish EU membership for sure. Uh, Back to the uh, chat. Jay Kim in the house. Welcome, Jay Kim. So, so is Erdogan trying to play with both the U.S. and Russia, or does he have some sort of a secret plan? That is the question, J. Kim. No one really knows what the plan is. I will get to this uh, by the, my finishing slide tonight, but by all accounts, you just have to assume that Turkey is going it alone. So I'm cutting to the chase. Uh, under President Erdogan, Turkey appears to be confident enough, confident enough, powerful enough, and resilient enough at least in its own head that it does not need any allies whatsoever at all anymore again everything I, I i might as well preface this with that little comment because you're going to see as i go through for the next half hour that everything i say is going to add to that they they really seem like they are a middling power that is now ready to achieve perhaps something greater than a a regional power status. Now again, whether they can do that or not is beyond my purvey tonight. Uh, But they seem like that's the road they're going down because Turkey's Erdogan, this is again from uh, October 26th. Was that just yesterday? All of this happened in the last four days. So Turkey's Erdogan keeps wailing on Macron and warns the US. I love that someone in the press used the word wailing. Wailing, that's like what we used to use when we were kids, beating the hell out of each other. They're going to wail on you, man! And so, what do you, what's wailing on Macron? Uh, what's Macron getting wailed on about? What's this all about? Okay, well, this is actually the biggest story. The 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 United States smackdown by Turkey was actually a, a sideline story because it was so overshadowed by this all weekend long. And what started last week actually, I guess it started about two weeks ago, less than two weeks ago, uh, was there's been a significant Erdogan smackdown on France occurring over a guy being beheaded. And again, it boggles the mind to try to put two and two together on this one. Wait a minute, somebody gets uh, killed and assassinated and beheaded in France, and now Turkey's mad about that. Yeah, uh, here's what happened. So just a few headlines, Turkish president... Erdogan says French President Emmanuel needs to get mental treatment over his response to the beheading that occurred in France. Keep stressing, this happened in France. Uh, France recalled their ambassador to Turkey after uh, Erdogan questioned Macron's mental state. Uh, that's just, that's where the start. And for those of you that have not followed this story at all, and I almost am envious if you've not followed the story at all because it's pretty sad and. Uh, scary, uh, simultaneously, and it's turning into an international issue quickly, mostly because of uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Uh, so what happened, and what's the date on, uh, date on this? October 16th, not that long ago, I, a teacher, a, I guess a middle school teacher, uh, was teaching about uh, freedom of press and freedom of speech, in France, a very secular state was was te- doing a lesson on the value of freedom of speech and freedom of press, and showed some of those uh, 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 um, Prophet Muhammad cartoons that a newspaper called Charlie Hebdo had had published a couple years ago. Um, and it is a huge freedom of speech issue in France, whether to be allowed to print anything, any depiction of the Prophet Muhammad, uh, that's the Prophet of uh, Islam, any depiction of the Prophet Muhammad is considered blasphemous by Muslims. Uh, And what does blasphemous mean exactly? I don't even know anymore. I mean, offensive is the base word for it. You're offended. You don't like that something's happening. Blasphemous takes it to a religious level of it's against the law, it's against our religious law. Now, I'm still confused, and if there's any uh, Islamic scholars out there, I would love somebody to chip in, uh, chime in, I mean, and, and educate me. I don't know that the Quran expressly forbids a depiction of the Prophet Muhammad and, and there's a death sentence if you do. I don't know. Uh, obviously, over the centuries, it has become kind of the standard rule book for Islam, but whether it's something ordained by Allah, I do I do not know that. But certainly for most Muslims, if not all of them, any depiction of the prophet is considered blasphemous, heretical, and you're making fun of the religion. This teacher uh, did show, the, uh, and by the way, for those of you who don't have any clue about recent French history and uh, terrorism in France, the Charlie Hebdo newspaper was attacked and a bunch of people died in a, a coordinated... Uh, a terrorist attack because of those cartoons. Uh, there have been multiple other uh, uh, Islamic inspired uh, terrorist attacks in uh, France in the last five years. So this is a very big deal for France. So that's the background. Then this teacher is going to teach a class a couple weeks ago about freedom of press and freedom of speech. He tells the class, uh, by the way, I'm going to be showing these cartoons. If you're not comfortable with this, if you're Islamic, don't come to class. It's okay. It's chill. He may have even sent out something to the parents. Uh, Parents and people knew about it. Uh, And immediately in the neighborhood where this occurred, uh, there was pushback by Islamic folks saying that it was heretical, that it was blasphemous, this guy shouldn't do this. Uh, One of the parents of one of the kids in the class actually posted the class's address online and was encouraging people to go protest and encur- basically getting people fired up uh, about this teacher. And then, lo and behold, a few days later, a Chechen, ethnically Chechen, I believe French born, French citizen, uh, Chechen Muslim, uh, tracked the guy out of the school. Asked some of the local kids if that was the teacher. They said yes, and he got him in an alley and killed him, and then cut his head off and posted it on Twitter. Boy, just another reason to love Twitter. How can, how have we lived so long without Twitter? So, uh, and was uh, apprehended, uh, was uh, killed during an attempted police apprehension of him. Was, he then started to attack the police officers coming after him with the butcher knife he was carrying. And that's the end of that happy story. So, because of that situation that occurred on October 16th slash 17th, if you understand the background of terrorism in modern France, and I mean very modern, the last five to ten years, you understand that this is a very big deal uh, in France. It's a very big deal. Uh, People are rightly very worried, maybe outright terrified, and then the French government has the added complexity of having to try to keep everybody calm and trying to make sure there's not anti-Muslim backlash, of which there's none that I know of. Uh, but you have now uh, the Muslim populations of France who are unhappy about the whole situation even starting. And then the secular, secular people and then other non-Islamic people who are upset about the results of this attack. I do take that back. I'm sure there are a lot of Islamic people who are really upset about this attack. It's ter- horrifying. So, the French government's trying to deal all with, with, with all this. And I'm not, by the way, I'm not defending uh, Macron, President Macron, or the French government. I'm always just trying to understand, how the hell did we get to this point? So, how we got to this point was, after all this happened, um, the French government under Macron... Uh, came out and he made several public statements, uh, one of which, which was semi-incendiary to many Muslims around the world, is he said, um, the, uh, the Muslim religion, Islam religion, is in crisis. Um, something to that effect. He also said, hey, we're going to target um, radical Islam within France. Obviously, they'd already been doing it, but they became much more aggressive about it, doing a lot more busting of people with uh, Islamic uh, extremist, perhaps, plans or plots. Uh, Maybe some Islamic extremists that had done even more than planning and plotting, and maybe were very vocal about not liking the French state or things of that nature. So a big probe occurs. uh, Lots of, uh, I believe, 50 or 60 people have been arrested in basically a sweep of Islamic extremists inside of France. We're not talking about anything outside of France, just within France. Um, And this whole situation rekindles uh, a big debate about free speech and Islam within France, and one could say the wider world. And that is that as Macron is making these moves, Muslim folks within France are starting to get upset, going, hey, we're being persecuted. We're being picked on. This is unfair that, you know, our religion is being targeted or even the things that this guy said are making us all out to be terrorists. Uh, And this is how things start to get in the public eye, even internationally. And let me quote some of the things Macron said here. Um, French President Emmanuel Macron on Saturday visited the site of murder, said beheading appeared to be an Islamic terrorist act. So right from the get-go, that already upsets some Islamic people who would say, look, it was a crazy person with a butcher knife who killed somebody. You shouldn't even label it as an Islamic a terrorist attack. So you could debate about that, for starters. Uh, let's see, uh, uh, he added that the terrorists sought to attack the Republic and its values, further noting this is our battle and it's existential. Uh, they, the terrorists, will not succeed. They will not divide us. And as I referenced earlier, this is big. no big surprise that the French government has taken this so seriously, given that since the Charlie Hebdo attack in 2015, there have been high-profile knife attacks, strikes against police on uh, Champ Elise. Does anybody remember when the guy got in a car and drove and just started killing people on the roads down in Nice? Uh, That was also an Islamic-inspired terrorist act. Uh, And the assault, the coordinated assaults on Paris, if you remember, a concert got attacked, and a a Jewish uh, delicatessen area got attacked at the same time Charlie Hebdo was being attacked. So it's a big deal. And uh, these attacks strike at uh, France's most turbulent debates, which have fused together whether there should be limits on freedom of speech and how Muslims should integrate into French society. So, that is the bigger picture of what's going on within France and the uh, aggressive, the newfound aggressive nature that the French government is taking on trying to isolate uh, Islamic extremism within France. Uh, a very secular state, but you would want to isolate terrorist or extremist in either case. And France, uh, uh, Macron has pointed out that also we're not attacking Islam in general or at all, and we're not even attacking uh, Muslims in general or at all in France. We're trying to isolate uh, Muslim uh, terrorist, but what was the word he used? Muslim separatist, I think is the word he used. Right here it is in this quote. What we must attack is Islamic, Islamist, not Islamic, Islamist separatism. And that is this tendency within France or even other Western societies that have large populations of Muslims in them, uh, this tendency for extremists to kind of unite around each other and form little enclaves and become separate from the state and therefore act in a separate way and do separatist things, i.e., Extremist things like terrorist attacks. So, Macron has very specifically said, hey, we want to try to make sure we have Hundreds of thousands of Muslims here that we have no problem with 99% of them We're worried about the 1% that get a little too extreme because they're a little too isolated and a little too extremist and a little too uh, uh, Separatist, if that makes sense Uh, However, this passage proved most provocative in Turkey uh, He also said, uh, this is Macron, that uh, uh, Islam is a religion that is experiencing crisis across the world in reference to Islamic State Jihadism and Wahhabism. So, unfortunately for Macron, I believe, I think most of us believe, probably even Erdogan, most of us believe that he's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to walk a very, very thin tightrope. And uh, I'm sure I will now offend some of my uh, Muslim friends. But he is in an impossible situation. He's the president of a country where a really horrific act just occurred. He has to act. And this is on the heels of many other similar Islam, Islamist-inspired uh, terrorist attacks. So for a French president to just say, well, well, that sucks, can't we all just get along? We'll get him unelected very quick. It will make him appear very weak in the public eye, a public eye that's horrified right now. So he has to act, and he has to act definitively. And because one of the jobs of a president is state security, you, you got to do it. So anything he does, you have to know going into it anything he does that targets any Muslim anywhere, rightfully so or not, will cause blowback. And that's exactly what's been going on. Massive blowback, as a matter of fact, mostly by this dude we're calling Recep Erdogan. <laughs> I'm sorry. Rejep, Recep. One of my Turkish friends taught me that recently. Recep. Uh, before I get to Recep's response to everything going on in France, uh, which is why he told uh, the world that Emmanuel Macron needs to basically get his head examined, uh, let me go to uh, SLUT 13, back in the hizzle, And Sluyt says, There's nothing in the Quran that prohibits the portrayal of Muhammad, but it is strongly discouraged in order to prevent any potential towards idol worship. Reinforcing the pillar that there's only one God and Muhammad is God's messenger. Salute, that's always been my understanding too. But obviously, obviously, I am not a, a, um, a student of the Quran nor an educator about the Quran. So my instinct has always been, I get the, the, the sentiment. The sentiment of not portraying the Prophet's image is to be against idol worship. Something that actually other religions have in common with Islam. In fact, I believe it's the Roman Catholic Church. I think the big schism between Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodox uh, Christianity came about because of the use of icons. One group said, no, you cannot have icons of, of the Lord or of this or that. You're worshiping an icon instead of getting the real message. That's why the there's a major division between the Christian church. And even before that, if you think about the Jews, when uh, uh, the uh, the Jews, uh, uh, when Moses went on the mountain, one of the main missions uh, uh, that God sent him back with was no idol worship. In and, and the time that the Moses was on the mountain, they had made a golden bull and started worshiping. It's like, no, you can't worship icons. You can't worship things. You're supposed to worship the one God, and that's it. So that's the I believe. And again, I would love any uh, uh, Islamic folks to agree, disagree, or or educate me, just don't behead me, Uh, my inclination is that, yes, that prohibition in the Quran is all about preventing idol worship. You're supposed to focus on that God is the one you're supposed to worship, not Muhammad, the prophet of God. So how that got spun into anyone, anywhere on planet Earth that shows a picture of this person is blasphemous and hates God. I'm not sure how you, you got from point A to point B. But I get that people are very passionate about religion, and I'm not questioning that at all. Okay. Um, thank you for that, salute 13 uh, Jcam0607 uh, says, I think France's view of secularism is different than the U.S. Uh, for instance, their view of secularism is called uh, la cite, which is more militant approach to freedom of religion. Yes. Uh, militant may be a strong word, but yes. And in fact, one could make the easy argument that France's Attitude towards secularism is just as passionate as uh, uh, Islamic Attitude towards not showing the Prophet Muhammad Uh, They are both are very passionate and deeply passionate and deeply offended Even to the point of calling it blasphemy if you attack their belief or their system be it secularism or the Prophet Muhammad Does that make sense at all? I in fact I think that's one of the core problems here is that both sides are so passionate about their viewpoint it's hard for them to even comprehend the other side but maybe I'll finish with that uh but back to the turkish titans trash talking so he didn't get enough of making a uh, fun of macron on friday he came back yesterday sunday i think saying that the uh <laughs> Uh, French President Emmanuel Macron had lost his way, and he said something like this, the person in charge of France has lost his way. He goes about about Erdogan all day. Look at yourself first where you are going. I Basically, this is a speech Erdogan is giving of saying, yeah, this guy's out of his mind. All he thinks about is me. All he thinks about is me all the time. He's thinking about me, and he needs to get a grip because he's wrong, and he's crazy, and that's the end of that. Except it's not the end of that, because this is what spun off of Erdogan's insults to French President Macron. And now we're getting it, now it's going global. Uh, In fact, it's going global today. Uh, Erdogan calls for boycott of French goods. Because he says, uh, uh, Erdogan is suggesting... Macron is out of his mind. He's insulted Islam. Therefore, he's insulted all Muslims worldwide. Therefore, no one uh, no Muslims worldwide should buy French products. Uh, he actually started this at home. He made this speech at home saying no Turkish people, good Turkish people, buy good Turkish Muslim peoples. Uh, if you want to be good Muslim Turkish peoples, then you should not buy any French goods. Uh, this uh, spiraled very quickly. Uh, and got picked up by other countries. So a whole lot of folks in the uh, Arab world are now also picking up on this boycott. Uh, it's I've seen pictures out of Jordan, uh, Yemen, not so much UAE, uh, even Syria. People were if you go Google protest about Macron, you'll see incensed. Agitated and furious Muslim men all over the Middle East. And it is Muslim men. There's not a whole lot of women out on the streets protesting. Uh, Burning pictures of Macron, stomping on them, uh, throwing away French goods, boarding up French goods in stores, covering them up and draping them so that people can't buy them. So this has turned into a huge thing, not just in Turkey, uh, not just in the Arab world, but further afield in the Muslim world. Uh, Bangladesh, uh, and I don't know what's going on in Bangladesh. Maybe that's another podcast, but Bangladesh is just on fire about this situation. And so you see that picture right there in the upper right-hand corner? There's like tens of thousands of people in Bangladesh who came out to protest today. Burn French goods, sever ties with France. You're like, whoa. <laughs> and again, uh, 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 and the uh, uh, the prime minister of Pakistan actually called up uh, the French uh, president saying, hey, what's going on with this? We're unhappy about this. Uh, the uh, His name is Imran Khan, the president of Pakistan. I'm sorry, Prime Minister of Pakistan. Prime Minister of Pakistan, Imran Khan, former soccer player, no, cricket player, cricket player. Uh, Imran Khan actually hit up Facebook and requested that Facebook ban all of Macron's quotes about Islam, saying it was hate speech. So, Again, I I felt compelled to come back to this story because I think it's a really big deal. And it's obviously a really big deal in some Muslim quarters of planet Earth, but it's a big deal for me because it's pointing out uh, and maybe it's exacerbating an East-West divide or a Muslim-Western divide that, let's be honest, two weeks ago, nobody was talking about this. Nobody's talking about a huge Western, uh, secular Western states Uh, facing off against Islam. This was not an issue two weeks ago. Now, it's an underlying issue on planet Earth for a while now. So when things get this hot this quickly, I do feel compelled to be like, hey, hey folks, here's what's going on here. You might want to pay attention to this because it's having economic and political repercussions uh, and quickly. Now, it could die down as quickly as it started up, but I don't think so. And I don't think so because I'm bringing it back to Recep, Recep Tayyip Erdogan of Turkey. He is stoking this flame, and he's doing it quite intentionally, I believe. I'm sorry. Oh, there's another question. Oh, Azit. Welcome, Azit. Uh, Professor Boyd took a world reach back in 2008, so happy to see you're still fighting the good fight. Can't wait to visit all the wine lab and drink all the wines. Yes. Thank you, Azit. And by the way, we we got on this Twitch thing because Katie's so awesome, she introduced me to it. So we're doing a show Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, every night at this time, talking about current events, just like the good old days uh, in world regions. Uh, if you want to join or subscribe or follow or like or do all those things, I'll send you some swag if anybody wants to subscribe up tonight. I also uh, was requested a co- for two nights in a row that we start doing some wine class stuff on Twitch too. So maybe we're going to launch a whole wine class Twitch thing. Maybe I'll play Atari while I drink wine and talk about wine. I'll play Atari. That way I'll be more hip. Right? Is that what it's is that, is that what I'm supposed to do? To be hip? Okay. Uh back to the, the topic at hand though. This is a really huge deal between France and Turkey. And this is not the only thing going on. And so I will uh, I will I always try to refrain from picking sides. And I just want to educate people about what's going on. But this does look like a bit of political opportunism for President Erdogan of Turkey. He is really stoking the flames on this France hates Muslims thing. And it just is, it's just a little too timely and plays to his benefit a little too much for me to think that it's 100% genuine. I'm sure uh, uh, President Erdogan of Turkey is a devout Sunni Muslim. I'm not doubting that. I'm sure he believes his religion, and I'm sure he's passionate about it. But the political opportunism can't be overlooked because, this slide is showing you, there's a lot of other background baggage going on between France and Turkey right now, and it has been going on for months, and it has been getting hotter for months and months and months, and getting nastier for months and months, and it looks like, It's going to come to a head with perhaps, perhaps uh, some targeted sanctions. Uh, At best and at worst, it looks like war is coming, albeit maybe a limited naval war in the Eastern Mediterranean. What am I referencing here? Well, this France Turkey row that's occurring in the last 72 hours highlights uh, Erdogan. I'm sorry, France Turkey row reaches new highs after Erdogan hurls insults at Macron and the subtext there is the latest Erdogan attacks come after several months of rising tension between the two countries. Rising about what? Mostly rising about well, that map you see over there that Turkey has been claiming huge chunks of the eastern Mediterranean Sea as its own and it's uh, getting increasingly belligerent about it like sending ships and exploration ships and warships into territories that are claimed by other States, namely states that also belong to the EU and NATO. So that's one of the biggest ones. And France, Francis Macron has been very vocal about pushing back against Turkey, saying, dudes, what are you guys doing? Didn't you guys want to get into the EU not that long ago? Aren't you a NATO member? What are you doing? Why are you causing friction with Greece, which is a uh, NATO ally and an EU uh, partner? And Francis Macron has been the most vocal about saying Turkey's going too far claiming these territories and they need to be pushed back on top of that Francis Macron is one of the only vocal European leaders who came out uh, uh, and and dissed Turkey for supporting Syrian uh, sending Syrian jihadists to Nagorno Karabakh that conflict I referenced at the beginning of this that's still going on in Azerbaijan so they said hey what are you doing Turkey what are you doing? why are you fueling a war that the whole rest of the world is trying to stop and on top of that France is also on the other side of a conflict with Turkey uh, in Syria. So the whole Syrian conflict, France and Turkey are on opposite sides of the Syrian civil war. There's also been a civil war happening in Libya and France and surprise, surprise, France and Turkey are on opposite sides of that civil war. Uh, You know, they're not directly involved in the Libyan uh, chaos, but they are supporting opposite sides. Same in Syria. Uh, Turkey and France are supporting opposite sides in the Syrian Civil War. And actually Turkey has been active in that war too. So you put all that together on top of the Cyprus situation. So Turkey is now calling for Cyprus to become semi-independent. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. and France is all about and all against that, as is the EU, as is the UN, as is everyone on planet Earth, except Turkey. So what's going on with that? Ah, that gets to the next point. That I think you might that we're gonna perhaps see some open conflict over, and that is the other smackdown that uh, Recep Recep tie Tayyip Erdogan threw down over the weekend is uh, Erdogan said it's time for a two-state solution in Cyprus. Period. Period. You're like what? what? Most of you don't even know where the hell Cyprus is. What do you mean two states? Uh, well, Turkish president. Uh, Erdogan said on Monday, that's just yesterday, it was time for a realistic approach, a realistic proposal about a two-state solution on the divided island of Cyprus to be discussed and added that the parameters of the current talks were not sustainable. Uh, for those that know absolutely nothing about Cyprus, and why would you? Uh, it is a sovereign state, kind of. Uh, is uh, has a seat at the United Nations, um, It is recognized as a sovereign state by all the other states of the world. However, um, back when it was young, and I think it just got its independence after World War II, and so as it was forming itself up uh, in 1974, I believe, Greece, uh, and there's, uh, let me take a step back. The northern part of Cyprus has some Turkish ethnic people on it. The southern majority part of the island is mostly uh, ethnically Greek people. Okay, so that's ethnicities. There's some Turks in the north. There's a lot more Greeks in the south. And during its early years, the Greek government, and that's the Greek government of Greece, actually sponsored a coup uh, in order to have the south take over the north in its entirety. Or it was a. Now I take that back. They weren't split then. The Greeks sponsored a coup of the government in Cyprus in order to put in a more pro-Greek-friendly regime. And I assume uh, probably take some rights away from the Turkish uh, minority up in the north. When that happened, and this is in 1974, uh, 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 Turkey then invaded the north part of Cyprus and carved out a section and said, well, we're drawing a line here and building a fence, and this is the Turkish Cyprus area, and Turkey ever since has said Turk- Turkish Cyprus is uh, a sovereign state. We recognize it. We recognize the sovereignty, and we consider it a separate state that's not part of Cyprus anymore. Uh, and the rest of the world has said no. <laughs> I mean, there was the U- UN got involved, and there was a peace thing put in place, and all of these things happened. And most of the world has said, well, the two sides are eventually going to get back together. And there's been lots of negotiations for 50 years, but they've gone nowhere. But everybody, everybody has said, but they will. But eventually Cyprus will be reunified. Turkey said yesterday, we don't think so. And we're going to help them become completely separate in a two-state solution, period. Kind of a big deal. And I see... uh, Azete is gifting things. Thanks, Azete. Thank you, Azete, for all of these great gifts you're showering on. Azete is the Santa Claus to the Plat Avenger Twitch channel. Um, The thing uh, that happened since I last spoke about Turkey, by the way, when I did a talk about Turkey two weeks ago, I brought this issue up and I said it's a really big deal. It's causing tension between the European Union and Turkey, between France and Turkey between Cyprus and Turkey. It's a very big deal, okay? But at that time, they were going to elections. So that top slide story you see there is that they Cyprus was uh, electing a new government. I'm sorry, North Cyprus, Turkish Cyprus, was electing a new government, okay? And it was about 50-50 support for a pro rabidly pro-Turkish president and a more moderate let's... Reunify Cyprus candidate. The rapidly pro Turkey candidate won the election two weeks ago. And so, because of that, this is no coincidence. If, my friends, if you pay attention to world events, there are no coincidences. So, it's no coincidence that Turkey came out yesterday saying, hey, by the way, what a coincidence, a rapidly pro Turkey uh, president is now in charge of northern Cyprus. And simultaneously, coincidentally, we're going to suggest that there's no, uh, uh, we should be talking about a two state solution and we're not talking about anything else anymore. Now, why in particular are they con- are, is Turkey pushing that right this second? Uh, perhaps to continue to piss off France. I don't know. It's much more got to do with this. And the this is the map you see there of these territorial claims. Turkey is basically going to push for northern Cyprus to become a, its own sovereign state. It will likely start sending military people there. If There's already Turkish military there. They're likely to start sending military uh, weapons there. They're likely to set up Turkish military bases there. I have a feeling they're going to push a two-state solution for Cyprus in which they basically are setting it up that Turkey will absorb northern Cyprus as a part of Turkey, period. You heard it here first. I'm calling it out. It's definitely going to happen. Now, I'll take that back. I'm not saying it will definitely happen. Turkey trying to do it is definitely going to happen. And here's why when you look at the map if Turkey can tease off that northern Cyprus uh, chunk, then they have increased territorial claims to the oceans around it. And I'm sorry, I skipped over this. I see a lot of uh, friendly faces and names in the chat room, so I assume a lot of you have already seen some of my prior podcast on Turkey, but I shouldn't make that assumption. Why the hell would anybody care about claiming water uh, in the eastern Mediterranean? Oh, here's why. Because they believe they've discovered hell tons of natural gas in the area. Uh, in the last decade. So all the countries of the eastern Mediterranean have been scrambling to try to say, hey, this much of the the, uh, the Mediterranean is ours. Oh no, th- this section is ours. No, this section over here is ours. It has accelerated rapidly in the last six months because of Turkey. The Tur- again, not making fun of Turkey. Re- Recep Erdogan would come out right. He's the one saying, no, we're claiming it. It's ours. And this Teasing off Northern Cyprus is a genius way for uh, Recep to get everything he wants and a little bit more. So he can be seen as helping free or liberate ethnically Turkish people uh, in Cyprus and as a benefit will likely absorb them into the Turkish Empire period. And as the triple benefit, then you get the territorial waters around there that might be loaded with natural gas. That makes sense? So there's more here than meets the eye. Is, uh, uh, is President Erdogan upset about France's moves against Islamic extremists in France? Sure, maybe he's upset. This is definitely in the back of his mind. He's putting a wedge between Europe and, uh, or France and everybody else, or, or the European Union and Turkey, and any other wedge will do. And getting that boycott... To get to go viral and get picked up worldwide brings more attention to him and his causes and Turkish causes So it's quite brilliant. Uh, It's a brilliant long-term strategy. I take that back. It's a brilliant short to medium-term strategy if Getting the entire Muslim world pissed off at France helps you get something you want in the Mediterranean then sure But at what price? Okay? Let's talk about that now to finish what are the repercussions of Turkey's uh, weekend-long smackdown of multiple entities? Now we've smacked down uh, Cyprus, uh, we've smacked down the United States, and we smacked down uh, 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 France big time, mostly France, okay? So what happens now? Well, repercussion number one, and again, as previously discussed, if you've tuned into prior podcasting, uh, uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, definitely now. I mean definitely. I've said it questioningly in the past. I'm saying it definitely now. Recep Tayyip Erdogan of Turkey definitely considers himself the leader of Sunni Islam. He is taking the title and running with it. He wants to be seen as the greatest, most pious world leader of a country that also, therefore, is the most pious, most awesome leader of Sunni Islam worldwide. Him getting people fired up about this embargo was kind of proof in the pudding that he definitely has a big voice amongst Muslims worldwide, not just in Turkey, not just even in the Middle East. This is now a worldwide boycott that's being pushed forward. On top of that, uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan himself is from a religious-leaning political party and has been very devout since being in office since 2003 has been pushing little by little inching little by little to move Turkey away from secularism and more towards Incorporating religion in society and perhaps even government now he hasn't gone as far as to say, we're going to make Turkey an Islamic Republic. But people who are afraid of the direction he's taking are rightly terrified that it looks like that's where he's going. So he is a pious Sunni who gets respect across the Sunni world, even in other states that aren't Turkey. He gets uh, you get Sunni respect in the Arab world uh, and a further afield all the way to Pakistan, Bangladesh, and hell, let's say Indonesia for all I know. Because he is an openly proud Muslim person who's also a powerful political president. Okay? And there's not that many of those on planet Earth if you start to go look around. Now, yes, the president of Pakistan is Islamic, the president of Indonesia is Islamic, Uh, the presidents and and kings of all the Arab states are Islamic. Unlike the rest of them, he is is kind of leading the charge so to speak so he's leading this charge against uh france right now leading this charge against fight that he's promoting himself as fighting against islamophobia fighting against anti-islam sentiment in the west he is leading that charge (laughs) self-declared he's leading that charge that's what makes him different than other uh islamic leaders worldwide some of them even quite powerful in their own right but he is kind of the top dog right now at least that's the way he sees it, and he's definitely playing this up. Uh, I love these other headlines here. Turkish president calls for a sweeping boycott of French goods, we've already talked about. Uh, Erdogan calls on Muslim countries to unite and confront Israel. Uh, that was a, a story we talked about last week. Erdogan vows to defend Palestinians against I- Israelis' annexation project and holiday message to Muslims. I'm not, I didn't point out that headline to talk about Israel. I'm pointing out that headline to say he's... He used a Muslim holiday to make an address uh, to Muslims to about a political issue. That's the big thing I'm talking about here. He's using that stage, the uh, Sunni Muslim stage, to talk about let's fight against uh, Israel. Uh, let's fight against uh, France and what uh, Macron is doing. Uh, let's fight against uh, Western aggression. Whatever it is, fill in your blank. So he has got a very big megaphone right now and a lot of Muslims worldwide not just in Turkey, are paying attention to him. The other thing that I pointed out last uh, lecture about Turkey that plays into the same theme is that he, uh, he, uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, uh, converted Hagia Sophia, one of the world's foremost tourist sites that used to be a Christian cathedral, then converted to a Islamic mosque, uh, and then Uh, when Turkey became independent in 1923, and as a secular state, they made it into a museum for all the world to enjoy. Uh, And uh, a few months ago, Recep Erdogan converted it back to an Islamic mosque. Again, hailed widely across the Muslim world as this guy is great. He's pious, he's awesome, he's all about religion, he's a good guy, and he's powerful, and he's standing up for Muslim whatever, fill in the blank. That's what's making him so important in the world right this second. And I love this other headline. Turkey may have reclaimed the leadership of Sunni Islam from Saudi Arabia long the center and still the uh, the holder of the holiest sites of Islam, Medina and Mecca. Uh, but uh, I'm assuming at this point, if you ask the average Muslim on the street anywhere, anywhere from Beijing to Bangalore to uh, Morocco, if you ask the average Muslim, who's the most kind of pious, powerful Islamic leader in the world, I think a lot of them would point to Erdogan. So it is kind of a big deal, okay? However, so that that definitely plays to his ego and it gives him a voice to say things that he wants to on a world stage to one and a half billion Muslims uh, that can then have political and economic repercussions which benefit him. However, not all uh, economic repercussions are positive because Thing uh, repercussion number two of the Turkish trash talking is that the Turkish economy is in a bit of trouble. So, at the same time, or maybe because of it, the same time that Recep Erdogan, uh, Recep Erdogan is blistering uh, uh, the Western world and standing up for Turkish this and getting involved in multiple conflicts all around the Middle East in the Eastern Med too, at the same time all this is happening, the Turkish economy is kind of sucking. It's been going downhill, again, at the same time, or perhaps because of everything Erdogan is doing, one could argue either way. And so what happened today, the lira, uh, that's the Turkish Monetary Unit, dropped to record lows earlier today. Um, A threshold that had never been crossed. Uh, It takes now eight lira to make one US dollar. It was at 2.6 a year ago. So that's a fairly significant drop to quote the Beastie Boys Uh, and it is not a portend of good things for the Turkish economy. Uh, Turkish currency slid further on Monday to an all-time low against the US dollar after Uh, President Erdogan challenged the United States to slap sanctions on his government. So again, think about the hubris of this guy. It's either hubris or it's confidence. Or both. The hubris of this guy that his economy is not doing well and he tells the biggest economy on planet Earth, screw you, give us some sanctions, bring it on, I don't care. You're like, oh, wow. All right. Well, I mean... It's it's interesting. Again, that's why I wanted to talk about this stuff tonight. It's like, wow, that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> uh, let's see. Turkish lira sinks amid Ergon Fury with allies. The lira has lost around 25% of its value this year due to coronavirus pandemic, battering the economy, uh, and also Turkey's troubled relations with the United States and several other European nations. Virtually all of the troubles with the United States and European nations are due to the movements of one Recep Tayyip Erdogan. So the the pandemic's the pandemic. We can't escape that. That's not Turkey's fault. But all of the fights he's picked, yeah, they pretty much are. They are they are of the Turkish government's doing and mostly of Recep Tayyip Erdogan, who is becoming the one-man government very quickly. I did like to add on to uh, the economy being in trouble. Uh, is that as rivalry for Muslim supremacy heats up, Saudi boycotts made in Turkey. What what has slowly been going on behind the scenes that I didn't even know about until I started researching this series of stories today is that there is a fair bit of anti-Turkish sentiment among Arab leaders. Maybe not so much about, uh, uh, from the Arab people, but many Arab leaders see Turkey as a continuing growing, growing threat, one that insults them on a regular basis. And so there have been multiple times in the past several years uh, calls for boycotting all Turkish goods in order to limit uh, the Turkey's growth. And Turkey could have handled those easily and did years ago when their economy was doing pretty good. Their economy was doing quite good for about a decade. The first decade he was in office, the economy was rolling along. And then it's kind of slowly ticked down as he's become, uh, he or Erdogan has become much more confrontational uh, with leaders, including Arab ones. So there's already been in the past calls to boycott Turkish goods uh, that did have an impact. Uh, And I also pointed out last time I talked about Turkey that for the first time ever, uh, Israeli military intelligence assessments see Turkey as a growing threat, one that may soon rival Iran. So, Iran has always been Israel's number one concern. Uh, Iran has always been most Arab states' number one concern. Everybody's worried about Iran. Iran's going to get too powerful and big and get nukes and kill everybody. Uh, Or become a regional hegemon and absorb everybody else. Uh, That's what my entire life, Arab states and Israel, have always worried about Iran first and foremost. I now keep seeing stories trickle in from Israel and Arab states that are saying, we're starting to worry about Turkey a lot more. Now, again, this is a repercussion of the bellicosity of Recep Tayyip Tayyip Erdogan. Uh, But it's there. darn it. I did it again. This is something to consider. He is a powerful leader. He's a confident leader. People like confident, powerful leaders. People are drawn to that. He's a popular leader. Leader, He got at least 50% of the people in Turkey love him, maybe closer to 60. So, and now people across the Muslim world are looking to this guy as a leader saying, wow, look at him standing up for Muslim stuff against the West or against China or against whoever, okay? But you have to look at real politics. You have to deal in the real world too. And so their economy is starting to get battered because of his bellicosity. Uh, and I love this story that I just came across in an Arab news source right before I came online here about how Erdogan steered Turkey from zero problems to zero friends. I think it really kind of summarizes the points I'm trying to make here. Uh, barely 10 years ago, Turkey's foreign relations and role in the Mediterranean and Middle East looked very different from today's mess. Uh, yes, as a world watcher and one who has watched the world for 30 years, I can tell you, when I taught about about Turkey in class 10 years ago, I know, it seems like a long time. When I taught about Turkey 10 years ago, it was almost all rosy. I was saying, this is a regional leader. It's an established democracy. It's a role model for Islamic democracies everywhere. Erdogan's a good dude. He's a good egg. It's a secular state. They respect human rights in the press. They get along with all of their neighbors. And, in fact, they did have something called... uh, um, what was the pro- policy called? Uh, zero problems. Yeah, it was an actual government initiative 10 years ago in Turkey to say, uh, it's a program, we're calling it Zero Problems with Neighbors. We want to put to bed all conflicts we have with all neighbors in a bid to get into the EU. Again, 10 years ago, they were going to get into the EU. It looked like it was possible. And what a difference a decade makes. Because now, exactly one decade later, think about all the problems that I talked about with uh, Turkey last uh, two weeks ago. And just the ones I've mentioned today of Turkey uh, smack-talking, all these entities. And I let this graphic kind of summarizes it all. From zero problems to zero friends, this little graph highlights all of the anxiety, angst, and outright hostilities that Turkey has honestly brought upon itself. Now again, you can look at it through whatever perspective you want. If you're a Turkish citizen who loves Erdogan, you're like, who cares? Yeah, Our our president is strong and powerful, just like Donald Trump in America. We're going to do what we want. We're going to go for and do what we want. And I say, good for you if that's what you think. But these are, this is not being critical. This is being factual. These problems on this map did not exist 10 years ago. They just didn't. So whether you think it's a good thing that he's brought this trouble to Turkey's doorstep, Uh, uh, Or you think it's a powerful, good thing that he's being confrontational and leading Turkey in a new direction. That's up to you to decide. I just want you to know that as a watcher, I'm like, wow. Most of us are quite surprised at what a right turn Turkey took roughly about a decade ago. So, issues with virtually all neighbors now. Issues internally uh, with Kurdish folks. Issues internally with people who want Turkey to stay secular. So they have issues within and now issues without and a confrontation with the United States, with France, with the EU. And it's mostly with the United States and Greece and the EU that I want to talk about my next major repercussion. And only briefly, just to reference it, because I kind of feel like I want to do a whole podcast on this later too. And that is NATO. Um, I believe we're seeing the end game of the current situation with NATO. Uh, Let me rephrase that. I believe we're at the beginning of a renegotiation of NATO. Uh, NATO, I do not believe is going to go away. In fact, I'm positive NATO is not going away. However, is Turkey going to be a component of NATO for much longer? That's what I'm starting to question. And you put together uh, Turkey's threats about Cyprus I won't even say threats. Again, that's uh, already I'm choosing the side by using these words. I don't mean to. Let's say this. If you start to look at Turkey's attitude towards separating Cyprus, uh, which is against uh, everything the UN and the EU wants, if you start to look at Turkey's uh, more aggressive behavior in claiming parts of the Eastern Mediterranean, which is a confronting, a direct confrontation with Greece, a NATO country, this becomes problematic. And now you look at a weekend long of dissing France and starting a trade war embargo against France across the Muslim world. France is also a NATO ally. And all these countries have ships in the eastern Mediterranean, by the way, exploring for gas or defending their ships that are exploring for gas. And all countries are saying, hey, we own parts of this, then you shouldn't be here. The... For the first time in NATO's history, since it was formed up in 1950, (laughs) I should know these things. Um, Since NATO, uh, 49, let's say call it 49. Since NATO was formed up in 49, we have never been this close or even remotely close to two NATO members getting ready to have a conflict with each other. And that's why it's going to be exceptionally problematic for Turkey to stay in NATO. And the current attitude displayed by President Erdogan, one has to make the assumption that he don't care if he's in NATO. So you could be looking at a renegotiation and quite soon about Turkey's exit from NATO. Again, I haven't even mentioned a re-mentioned the United States. The United States is the one who was giving Turkey the, the smackdown for buying these Russian weapons systems and employing them and testing them. So the United States is none too happy with Turkey doing this either. The United States has military bases in Turkey, by the way. So the United States highly values Turkey and probably doesn't want Turkey to leave NATO. But given the weapons systems issue in combination with the uh, uh, anti-France attitude that Macron has, the anti-Greece attitude, and the anti-Cyprus attitude that uh, all three, the the Erdogan is perpetuating right now, you do have to kind of look at the writing on the wall and say, there is no way Turkey can stay in NATO under these conditions. There is no way. So you don't have one reason, you've got several, and if they don't act soon and renegotiate Turkey's membership, then they're just waiting for an eventual implosion of NATO when a Greek ship bumps into a Turkish ship in the eastern Mediterranean and they fire on each other. And both sides say, hey NATO, you have to come help me kill the other side. And that that's an existential crisis for NATO. So I believe NATO is going to have to very soon resolve the Turkish situation before it becomes an existential crisis for NATO itself. Okay. Uh, and I will go to some... I'm sure I've got another slide here or two, right? Th- yeah, this is a more kind of ideological one, but I'll 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 go to some questions and I'll finish with that last slide. And the questions are: <laughs> oh, Did you see the one from Constant Questioning? You might need to double check, but I think political emotes are prohibited. Yeah, What's a political what, emote? Just that's, a, what, that's what I understand. It says icons like. So, so can you use they, a flag? I don't know. I don't know actually. They approved it, dude. I named it oh it, well constant now. did you already answer constant question oh, yeah they approved it so i mean maybe you don't maybe don't name it the leader next time it's just quiet
1: okay okay
0: uh let's see and um, <laughs> simons 182 says this channel is going to blow up i hope so simons thanks uh, I don't know how to help make it blow up. I would love you guys' advice since you're in this stuff and you're younger than me, obviously, and you use these platforms. You tell me. Longer podcasts, shorter podcasts. More podcasts, less podcasts. Uh, more prizes, less prizes. I don't even know what the prizes are. But I we would love to have your advice on this. I'm in this game because I want to bring people together, especially in more chaotic, crisis-ridden times here in the 21st century. Also bring people together during a crisis of a pandemic where you're going to be stuck at home, especially as winter approaches. And I'm mostly passionate about people understanding the greater world. That's why I'm in this game. And I would love for this channel to blow up just so I can get more people to understand more about the world, even at the expense of pissing off some people as I try to explain things that they don't like to hear. Probably every Turkish citizen probably would hate everything I just said today, but I try to base everything I put on the slides. I'm like, no, these are facts. These are news stories. I'm it's not my politic It's not my opinion that Turkey's doing this. They're doing this. Or Recep Erdogan is doing it. Recep Erdogan is doing this. Uh, I'm gonna go to um, uh, Jay Kim, who's saying is Erdogan trying to recreate the Ottoman Empire? Because back in the day, the Ottoman Empire represented the Sunni Islam. Kablam! Um, I have to agree with you, Jay Kim, and many, many, many analysts across the world for at least a decade now have been asking that very same thing. as... Is Turkey trying to recreate an Ottoman Empire? Um, That would be a stretch because the true sense of an empire is that you absorb territories and you know, it becomes a a singular bigger political entity. We we can't imagine that the goal is for Turkey to militarily invade uh, other countries and take them over, except Northern Cyprus. Uh, However, I think all of us can agree that uh, Recep has this platform and wants to make himself and his country more powerful. And if he can do that by becoming a cultural and religious leader of Turkic peoples and Sunni Muslims, then more power to them. And a more unified voice of, say, Sunni Islam under a powerful leader like Erdogan allows Sunni voice to be heard in the world on a much uh, on a much louder megaphone. So you can make easily make the argument if you're a devout Sunni uh, 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 Islam a devout Sunni I should say, or you're a devout follower of Recep Tayyip Erdogan. In either case, you would say, what's wrong with that, Boyer? He is unifying Sunni voices worldwide and standing up for Islam values and fighting back against Islamophobia. Hey, you're right. He definitely is doing that. So, again, it's all about your perspective of things. I was only bringing up the political spectrum. I don't know that much about religion, uh, but I get it. I get it's a very powerful platform that he has somehow tapped into, and he could and maybe is going to do some good in the world to combat against Islamophobia. I'm much more practical. I'm more about the economics and politics. And I look at this and I say, well, he could be unifying the Sunni world to re-establish a cultural Ottoman Empire. Or he could be using this to his advantage to get the stuff he wants for Turkey. <laughs> and again, I'm much more pragmatic. If I was a world leader, I would do that. If I was a world leader trying to capture the Eastern Mediterranean, it's like a big game of risk, right? No, Stratego? No. Is it risk? The, the world map? and you move armies around? It's a big game of Risk. Maybe I should play Risk. Maybe I will be the first person on Twitch to not play a video game, play a board game. A People have been doing it already. Someone do, like, make a, do a puzzle. There either. you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I play Stratego while I talk about the events. Maybe I play Stratego as the Ottoman Empire the next time I lecture about Turkey. And um, go, you know, uh, the the point being, There is certainly political and economic gain to what he's doing, and if I was in his shoes, I might be pulling those same levers of religious and cultural persuasion. Again, that sounds a little cynical, but I'm a cynical person because, you know, these are real-world issues. Anybody that thinks Recep, uh, Recep is pushing these cultural buttons and calling for a boycott against France because he's just so into Islam you're being a little immature. That's certainly not the case. He may be very devout, but he's not... He's not making... He's not scoring political points on the world stage just because he loves his religion. He's using it effectively and could possibly help his religion, but he's using it effectively for his own ambitions personally and for Turkey's territorial ambitions. I don't think that's too offensive to Muslim folks. I hope it's not. Uh, Other questions are... um, so yeah, the Ottoman Empire being recreated, you're seeing a lot of stuff of the Neo-Ottoman Empire. Just go Google Neo-Ottoman Empire, you'll find lots of stories. Uh, let's see, uh, can a nation be booted from NATO? Ask woogie boogie back in the house. Welcome back, woogie. Uh, and and uh, Shen48, welcome Shen48, also says, will Turkey be kicked from NATO? Uh, and Taibo, Tyboness. Tybones, Tybones, Tybones 88 says, what happens if there's a conflict within NATO? Article 5, hoping I'm remembering it right, would be invoked, but who does it the who does the rest of NATO back? All good questions, all on the same theme, which I hope I kind of covered here. This is uncharted territory for NATO, obviously. And it's it's uncharted territory that NATO obviously does not want to chart. It does not want this to happen. And I um Uh, I can tell you, I can answer your questions all. Uh, Can a member be booted from NATO? Sure, it's never happened. But sure, can. Any organization can add or subtract. It's up to the organization. Um, Which side would NATO back if Turkey and Greece go to war with each other? Uh, I I can definitively answer this. Neither. NATO will not act at all. 100% guaranteed NATO will not act if two NATO countries go against each other. Uh, and that's because the way NATO works is they don't even vote. You'd think, oh, if they voted in the majority, you know, half the people chose Turkey and half chose Greece, and maybe there's a tiebreaker. Uh, no, NATO doesn't vote. All the NATO members get around a table whenever NATO Article 5 is invoked, and they just talk it out. They literally talk it out. They don't take a vote. They don't even come to a consensus They kind of all just sit around and talk until they finish talking and they kind of nod. And like, oh, we all done? Okay, so we're going to war in Afghanistan. That's the last time it was invoked. Okay, Uh, anybody else? You think we should go to war in Afghanistan? You don't like what's going on? Okay. Okay, then they leave the room and make plans to go invade Afghanistan. In this situation, Turkey versus Greece or any NATO member versus any other NATO member, The members would not agree to anything. They wouldn't come to a consensus. They probably wouldn't even bring it up for a talk. They'd be like, no, this is beyond our purvey. NATO can't do anything with this one. So again, back to my point, I think they kind of have to start diplomatic negotiations on how do you kick a member out of NATO. Honestly, you won't even have to kick Turkey out. I think you invite a member to disassociate. And it would probably be a pleasant talk. Be like, hey, reset, reach up, sit down with us. And so here's what you're doing. Um, and here's our problems with that. Would you like to not be in NATO for a bit? Try it on for size, see how you like. To me, I think that's how forced retirement says. <laughs> yeah, I think a forced retirement scenario might be in order. And I'm, again, not making fun of Turkey. I think it's probably for the best for all involved. Turkey seems, uh, under uh, Recep Erdogan, seems to be going its own way, on its own path. And it's completely disassociated from EU membership hopes. And so they're moving away from the West, quite frankly. And that's, they're moving away from Team West, and that's fine. This is just a part of that, disassociating from Team West and kind of going their own way. Because they really are straddling a border, staying in NATO, and NATO's not going to want to, even if Turkey amicably had no none of these problems, and Turkey just said, well, we want to stay in NATO, but we're going to focus on becoming a leader of Central Asia and of Sunni Muslims and all this other stuff. NATO would even have a problem with that, because at some point, Turkey's going to go up against an Arab state, or up against Israel even, or... Somebody will eventually attack Turkey, given its aggressive stances on multiple issues right now, and NATO is not going to want to come save the day on regional problems that has nothing to do with. So I think the disassociation has to occur, and probably occur soon. Let's see. Uh, uh, 1K1CK says I don't know if Greece can afford a war in the long term, and Turkey is also having issues selling bonds in immediate term. Yeah, that's the other thing. Uh, The 1K, I don't know if you saw the previous slide I had, but yeah, Turkey's economy is not doing great. And Turkey's military is now currently involved in more conflicts than it ever has been in the history of the country. In the history of the country, it's never been, it's never had troops in multiple places like this. So at the same time, they're overextending, I shouldn't say overextending, they're extending militarily. We'll find out in the long run if it's overextending. They're extending militarily militarily at the same time their economy is sinking. So problems on the horizon, perhaps. Uh, the last kind of global repercussion I wanted to talk about with the Turkey's trash-talking uh, is that we, I believe, we are going to see a global battle for free speech intensify. And the point that I should have made back when I was describing why... Erdogan has been so voraciously attacking Macron and now has whipped up the Sunni Muslim world to voraciously attack Macron is because Macron refused to ban political cartoons of uh, the Prophet Muhammad. And Macron, in fact, refused to even condemn the use of those political cartoons. So that is interpreted by Erdogan and, I assume, a lot of the Sunni Islamic world, that's interpreted as Macron endorses the use of political cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad. And the point that I think, and again, it sounds like I'm defending him, I think I just understand. I, I empathize and get it. I think the French viewpoint and Macron's viewpoint is, He's not supporting the use of cartoons themselves. He's not supporting making fun of the Prophet Muhammad. He's not supporting showing pictures of the Prophet Muhammad. He's not supporting the content. He's supporting the principle. He's supporting the right for people in the country called France to express themselves as part of freedom of speech, even when that freedom of speech offends people. Because here's the deal, friends, and I think even devout Muslims will understand this. The thing about freedom of speech is, no matter what anyone says anywhere on planet Earth about anything, you're going to piss somebody off. That's life. That's life. Let me, re- let me say that again. I'm not even talking about the Prophet Muhammad. I'm not even talking about religion. I'm talking about an Arab dude on the streets of Cairo who says anything out loud that has nothing to do with the religion. He could say the sky is blue. He's going to offend somebody. So, the basis of free speech is, look, everything that everyone says all the time offends somebody all the time. You could say, I just really, I like God. Well, that offends people who don't like God. I like the color purple. Well, you just offended people that don't like purple. You, you, all speech has to be protected, in the Western world's mind, ideologically. All speech has to be protected, because if you start to say, well, you can only say things that don't hurt anyone's feelings, you've just ruled out free speech. It's the opposite of free speech to suggest that there are things that can't be said. That's why uh, us proponents, and I am now saying us, proponents of free speech fight voraciously to protect it. Because we damn well know everything we're saying offends somebody. But if we all agree that no, we're never going to offend anybody, then you don't have free speech. Because at any given point, anything you say, a group of people can come say, I don't like what they said. They should be in jail. They should be in jail or beheaded or killed or or there should be a law saying you can't say that. It's, this is not an easy thing. Again, I'm only slightly defending Macron because I understand the viewpoint of the secular state. And I am a huge fan of freedom of speech, by the way, and freedom of the press. So, it, it's perhaps a disconnect that's occurring right now between what I just tried to explain and the Turkish or the Arab or the Sunni Muslim or just the Muslim mind or just Eastern mind or whatever part of the world that doesn't, that, that doesn't quite click with that. And I think that a devout religious people, of any religion by the way, would say... Yeah, I kind of agree in free speech, but at the end of the day, I'm really devout. And so you can't say anything about my religion. That is the, um, the friction that we are going to see increasing on planet Earth. And here's why. Is planet Earth getting smaller? Are we getting less connected? Is there less communications? Is there less of anything that brings people together and lets every person on planet Earth see every thought bubble of every other human on planet Earth. By the way, that's what Twitter is. It's Thought Bubbles. It's a platform of humans' thought bubbles. And humans think everything under the sun a billion times a day in a billion different directions. So this is why this particular issue, we're not done with this. Humans, a species as a whole in an interconnected world, is going to have to figure out, okay, what, how much speech is, are we going to allow for free speech? How much individual rights does every individual on planet Earth have? These are big ideological issues, huge, as a matter of fact. And this situation with France and Turkey right now is just the most recent uh, and volatile expression of a conflict of kind of big ideologies across planet Earth. I said ideologies, by the way, not religions. It's not about religion. Honestly, I, I, I'm i assuming a lot of folks, a lot of devout Muslims in the Middle East and, and Turkey probably don't believe this, but all I can express is my personal opinion on this, and most humans really in, in the Western world don't care about what your religion is. They just don't. That That's part of the Western system. We're like, do whatever you want. Worship whoever you want. So it's not that, uh, and yes, there's Islamophobia in the Western world and the world in general and and there's anti-Jewish stuff in the world, in the Western world, and everywhere. So religions get attacked around the world and have throughout human history. The point I'm trying to make is that this is now a global issue of ideology about freedom of speech versus more conservative thought. That, that it's going to have to work itself out as a global system. Otherwise, we're just devolving back to a nation state where it's like, nope, you can say these things in that state, but you better not say them in that other state because they'll chop, chop your head off of that. Seems like this is going to be a big deal. And I'll end with this, by the way. This was not brought up by any by Erdogan or any other pundits that I saw, but I remember this in my head. That while Macron was talking about, hey, look, we're a devout secular state and we are going to protect freedom of speech. So people should be allowed. I don't agree with it, but people should be allowed to have cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad. Okay? Macron said that, but he actually forgot to mention this little thing which has been gnawing on my brain for a while, which is France is one of the countries, uh, and there are many in Europe, that actually have outlawed saying anything denying the Holocaust. That's an interesting twist, isn't it? So Macron's saying, well, we're going to protect freedom of speech so you can make fun of Islam in the same country that if you deny the Holocaust and what happened to the Jews, you can actually go to jail for that. So that is a freedom of speech issue within France itself that they have not resolved yet. I'm really shocked that my own, I won't say intelligence, but my own savvy sometimes where my brain finds those things uh, and it just connected those dots. And I went looking on the web for uh, an Arab commentator or a Turkish commentator or Erdogan himself or Islamic scholars to come forward and say, Hey, what's going on in France? This is bullshit, you know. Because, because look, they're denying one thing and saying they're protecting free speech while they're denying speech in another direction. How is it I'm the one that came up with it? <laughs> I don't know, but that's what happens to me when I'm thinking out loud and talking out loud. Dots get connected. Okay. Um, and one uh, K C one C K says there's also a lot of Arabs in France. That's true. Five point seven million. Uh, there's tons of Turkish people in Germany. There's tons of Arabs. Uh, in uh, uh, France um, And there's lots of Islamic folks across Europe. So Europe becomes a hotbed for these things because it's such a, a, uh, a Cauldron of different ethnicities and different religions in the same space with competing ideologies when it comes to certain things like this That's why you see these things pop up in Europe, by the way, not other places. Cool. Okay. Well, that's my, that's all I got and the final slide was only referencing hey the final repercussion is this, of this is what I started with uh, like an hour and a half ago, which is it does appear that Turkey is well-placed to kind of go it alone. It could be pulling out of major international organizations and finding a new path forward. And we shall see if that comes to be. Any other questions from the chat room before I wrap it up and go to bed? Uh, constant Questioning says... There was a protest in France, too, in the past for issues with Catholics. Uh, One I remember was about a theater play, for example. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, absolutely. you got to remember, there's the Reformation and the Counter-Reformation, which occurred in France. And so uh, uh, pro-Catholic people killed non-Catholic Protestant people, and then Protestant people killed Catholic people, and then Catholic people came and killed... I mean, it gets impossible to keep up with this stuff. Uh, J. Kim says, How come Germany doesn't have this type of events, or am I just not hearing it from the media? Germany by and large um, Most Europeans by and large I should back up are, are fairly non-religious uh, And by, by Europeans, I mean natives if you like So the average Swede or the average German um, or the average f- French person Who's lived there their entire lives and their family have lived there for 500 years. Most of those people are pretty non-religious so They're all about freedom of religion. They don't really practice themselves, so they don't get offended by much. So they're like, whatever, everybody just do their own thing. Uh, Germany, because of its role uh, uh, in the Holocaust and in World War II, is very, very sensitive to these issues. So I'd have to go do some research, J. Kim, but my instincts are that while France is a devout secular state that devoutly protects freedom of speech for people to do whatever they want, Germany may not push it that hard. And Germany may... I'm I'm sure Germany has the uh, uh, anti-denying Holocaust law. And so they're not as keen on... I shouldn't say free speech. Of course Germany's keen on free speech. But they're very sensitive to issues of this nature. More so than France, let's say. And maybe they have written it into law that they're going to be sensitive. So you can't deny the Holocaust. You probably can't make fun of other religions in in Germany as much as you could in France. I, I that's my instinct of why you don't hear about it. And Germany has a big Turkish population too. And Germany by the way, if I was making a quiz out of this, which I w- I guess I should have. Um Germany also does not want to offend Turkey uh or Muslim other Muslim states because Germany sells them a ton of weapons. <laughs> so Germany would actually not want Turkey to be kicked out of the NATO. Germany probably was okay with Turkey becoming a, a EU member even because it does a lot of business with Turkey and it's not wanting to lose that business, if you know what I mean. Any other questions? Um, Shane, uh, Shan 48 says, John, a question from yesterday's stream. Did you see India and the U.S. signed a military agreement? The setting up the standoff of China? I did. In fact, I thought that I referenced it during that talk. I don't know if they had penned it by the time I finished the talk yesterday. But, yeah, they, they designed a mutual defense information sharing agreement, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was, uh, this first phase was all about information sharing, like satellite stuff and comms and things of that nature, which is how you start these programs. So it wasn't a military agreement in terms of, like, hey, we're going to start building U.S. bases in uh Uh, Sri Lanka or anything like that, it was more like, yes, we're going to start talking to each other about how we work together more in a defensive and perhaps even economic way. But the defensive thing is what started first. Good call on that, Shin. And J. Kim, if you need some points, then help me write some questions. Anybody who's in the class that wants a quiz on this, I guess, help me write a bunch of questions. I need like 20 questions about what I just talked about for an hour and a half. Swore I was going to do it in a half hour today. Damn it. It's just so much fun. I can't help myself. What shall we talk about tomorrow, though, is the question. Katie suggested I just start doing a lecture, an old-school lecture, like a whole lecture on Russia, and just go for like an hour a night. I would never get through it in one night, but i go for like an hour a night and cut it exactly an hour and field questions, then do another hour for the next night, then cut it at one hour and field questions. If you have any issues uh, or global stuff that just popped up on your radar... Hit me up with it, and I'll try to talk about it tomorrow night. And I swear, I'll try to do it in the half an hour. But unless anybody else has any other questions, do we have any other uh, gifts to give? Any other subscribers to thank? Thanks for hanging in there. Thanks for liking, subscribing, hanging out with us, asking great questions. Hopefully, we can keep doing this. And indeed, hopefully, it will blow the hell up on Twitch. Whatever the hell that means. But for now, I'm John Boyer. Thanks for chilling out with me. Have a great evening, and we'll see you again tomorrow. Same plaid time, same plaid channel to talk more about what's happening in the world. But for now, as always, party on.